Come on now, who is excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on. Woo, you're looking good. Man, you look good. Look at the first side, say you look good today. Say you look good. If you're watching online at Grayson, you say you look good too, tell them. You look good. If you're by yourself, look in the mirror and say, you look good, all right? Man, it's so good to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming and worship with us. This is your first time or first time in a long time. We are so glad you come in the house of the Lord and worship. I'm telling you what, this series, Thrill of Hope, God is already doing some great things. We're seeing lives being changed. And I'm telling you, there's something great in the atmosphere. So come on, let's just pray. Ask God to speak to us this morning. Hopefully you come expecting to hear from a word from the Lord because I believe God's gonna to speak to you today. So come on, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We are in all of you. God, this morning, you woke us up. You gave us breath. You put breath in our lungs so that we could come here this morning and praise you. You tell us that you inhabit the praises of your people, which means you are in this place. So God, thank you so much for meeting us here. God, you know our heart, our circumstance, our situations. For some of us, the Christmas time, joyful, but also sad. There's an empty chair this year from a family member. Some family members can't come in. You can't travel. Anxiety, depression, hopelessness. But God, for the next few moments, we just ask you that you will calm our hearts and help us see Jesus in the midst of our chaos. For if we will encounter Jesus this morning, we will not leave here the same. So we ask in his name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we get it for the worship team? You do an amazing job every week. Thank you guys so much. Go ahead, look at the person beside you and say, what you get me for Christmas? Go ahead, tell them, ask them. Look back at them and say, why ain't you giving me something for Christmas? Take me out to eat after church. Trying to help some of you get a date. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Better Life Church, right? We care about your relationships. That's coming in February. You don't want to miss it. Grab your Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're continuing this series, The Thrill of Hope. And last week we talked about, if you remember, the angel... Gabriel, he appears to Mary and says, Mary, you are highly favored. God has found favor with you, and here's what's going to happen. You are going to conceive, and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. She says, how in the world am I going to get pregnant? I'm a virgin. I, I, that's, that's impossible. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, overshadow you, and you are to give birth to the Son of God. Mary leaves the house. She runs to her relative's house, Elizabeth, who was also six months pregnant, with AKA John the Baptist in her room. And so she runs in the room and the Bible tells us that Elizabeth leaped for joy and baby John in the womb leaped for joy because she was carrying hope. She was carrying Jesus. And the thought there is that we as Christians carry Jesus everywhere we go. We carry him at work. We carry him on the court. We carry him on the field. We carry him into our dysfunctional families that you're gonna hang out with in the next week or so. Can I get a witness? And the whole point was, how does the room change when we walk in? We are Christ's carriers. We carry hope. And this Christmas season, when you walk into hopeless situ situations or dysfunctional families, you get to carry Jesus into the room. You can't control how people respond, but you can control how you respond to people. 
And so how am I going to respond to the people around me this Christmas season knowing that I carry hope, that I carry Jesus everywhere I go? Well, the Bible goes on and tells us that Mary stayed there for three more months. We're assuming she stays there until Elizabeth has baby John, and then she goes back home. When she goes back home, guess what? She's engaged, and she's pregnant. How do you think that's going to go over with Joe, her husband? Well, fiance. She goes back. She goes, you ain't going to believe it, Joe. It's crazy. I'm pregnant. And you're not the daddy. What? What? Are you kidding me? And I think about this. We read the Christmas story, but we really don't pay attention to some of this stuff. We're like, Joe's like, what? Wait, what? What's going on? I thought we were a faithful girl. We met, you know, in Jerusalem. Middle school. I thought for sure this was going to be it. I thought for sure you're the one, and you go cheat on me? No, you don't understand. I'm a virgin. It's God's baby. Oh, God, no, no, you didn't. You're going to throw God up in this, right? Could you, I mean, come on. At least that's how my mind works when you think about the story. But Joe, because he was a righteous man, he loved the Lord. He also loved Mary. He said, you know what? I'm going to kind of put her away quietly. I'm going to call off the wedding. I'm going to call off the engagement. It's over. It's all over. Well, that night, Joe goes to sleep. And the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. I said, Joe, listen, Mary ain't lying to you, bro. She didn't cheat on you. She loves you. This is God's child. The Holy Spirit's overshadowed her. She's going to conceive. You're to name him Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. Joe wakes up going, honey, I believe you now. I'm sorry. Ladies, come on. Men, Mary. You need to learn those words, and your marriage will go well. Can I get a witness, ladies? I'm sorry, honey. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm telling you, receive it, and you're going to have a great holiday season. I'm telling you. You're right, honey. I'm wrong. I should have listened to you. And Joe takes, and he protects her, and, and on and on and on. And here, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you think about this, Matthew 1, says this. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophets. Who's the prophets? All here in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament points to the New Testament. The whole Old Covenant points to the New Covenant, Jesus. All the prophets told about this. Jesus is going to come. In fact, he goes on and says this in verse 23. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, I want to focus on that one word. Emmanuel, God with us. Now think about this. How would your life change if every single day you woke up knowing that God was with you? Last week we learned about God in us, but what about God was with you? Think about this. How would, you, how would your workplace change? You go to work on Monday knowing God's with you. How would it affect you on the court if you knew that God was always with you? How would it affect you in your relationship, your marriage, if you know that Jesus is always with you? I don't think you're regulating here with me. I don't think you understand. I saw imagine, imagine for yo, let's go to the club this weekend. Man, I can't go. I got Jesus with me. I got Jesus with me, man. I mean, I gotta go watch a G-rated movie. I got Jesus with me. Can't go to that. What you say, what you look out, how you act, and what you do would completely change if you were aware of his presence with you all the time. He's with you. He's Emmanuel. 
God is with us, in us, everywhere we go, even into the midst of your dysfunctional families we're about to walk into, and all in the midst of the chaos that we're about to step into over the next two weeks. And my prayer is that you don't miss seeing Jesus in the midst of the chaos that you are about to step into over the next couple weeks. And so it's with that, I want to share this story in Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles in Luke chapter 8, I want to share this story that I think is a perfect picture of seeking Jesus, finding Jesus in the midst of chaos, or seeking hope, finding hope in the midst of chaos. So if you're ready to get started, say, let's go. All right, here we go. Y'all hungry. Here we go. Here we go. Verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Let me, let me ask you this. They heard Jesus doing miracles. They heard Jesus could do great things. And they're waiting for him to get off the boat. And I read that and I thought, how many of you are expecting Jesus to show up here this morning? How many of you came in this morning expecting Jesus to break addictions, Jesus to fix marriages, Jesus to heal people's lives? How many of you came this morning just to come to church or you expect you're gonna meet Jesus here this morning in this house of worship? See, God is gonna move at the level of your expectation. It's not just another day, come on, let's go. I'm going to the house of the Lord because Jesus is gonna meet me there and wants to speak to me. If you'll come expecting to hear a word from him, I promise you, you will hear a word from him. Verse 41, then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, pleading with him to come home with him. Why? He tells us his only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. So Jesus went with him, but he was surrounded by the crowds. So Jesus gets off the boat. Here's Jairus. He is the leader of the local synagogue. Think of like a local church. He's the one that plans the worship. He's the one that plans the Bible reading from the Old Testament. He's the one that unrolls the scroll and reads the text to the people. He's kind of the local pastor of that church, of that synagogue. He planned all this out. And here he comes. He falls in the feet of Jesus. My baby girl, my only girl, my 12-year-old daughter, she is dying, and I need you to come home with me. And the fascinating is Jesus goes with him. Jesus didn't have to go. Jesus could say, you know what? I believe in you. Thank you for your faith in me. Your daughter is healed right now. Go home. She's well. He could have did that. But for some reason, he purposely walked through the crowd, which the Bible says, don't miss this, was surrounding him. I looked up that word surround, and that word surround means to choke, which means this. The crowd was so big, it was smothering Jesus. Like, it was so crowded around him. Like, you couldn't even move. You couldn't hardly make your way through to Jairus' house. And then all of a sudden, Luke, who we're reading right here, runs on a side tangent of a story. Now, let me tell you something about Luke. One, Luke's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's one of the only ones here of the Scripture who wrote who's not a Jew. Two, he's a doctor. He's a physician. He writes with acute details. He loves the details of the story. And as he's going to Jerry's, Luke stops and writes in the story that happened while Jesus was on his way. Look what happens in verse 41. A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, 
because she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Now, I want you to picture this real quick. The first guy, Jairus, he's named, he's prominent, he's wealthy, he's popular. Here's a woman who's unnamed, unclean, unpopular, and they both been praying, and they're both are hopeless, and they both found their way to the feet of Jesus. Two different contrasts here. And the Bible says this woman was in a terrible, terrible situation. The Bible tells us she's been bleeding for 12 years, which means this. She's had a menstrual cycle for 12 years. Dear God, all the men said, Twelve years. Twelve years. Now, see, we read this stuff, but we don't think about it. I mean, you can put yourself in this woman's situation twelve years. What do we know about her? Here's what we know. Number one, she's bankrupt. The Bible says she spent every single penny she had. She cashed in the 401k to be cured. So the doctor says there's no hope. What else do we learn about this? She's been bleeding for 12 years. Well, guess what happens? Back in the Old Testament, there was this like purification time, and the Bible says that when a woman is on her menstrual cycle, she's ceremonially unclean until the purification system takes place, which means this. She's not allowed to go into the synagogue until she goes through the purification process. What does that mean? Here's what that means. She hasn't gone to church for 12 years. She's an outcast of society, She's unclean, which means this. Her friends turned on her. Her family's turned on her. And we don't know, but if she was married because she's by herself, her husband has probably divorced her. And now she believes God has given up on her because she's untouchable, which means this. If she is unclean and you touch someone who was not unclean, you just made them unclean. And so she has this crazy idea. She heard that Jesus could heal people. She heard that Jesus could do some great things. And she thought to herself, if I just touched his robe. Now, could you imagine this woman suffering socially? Outcast. Emotionally, unclean. Financially, broke. Physically, broken. The doctors can't fix her. There's no hope for this woman. Religiously, kicked out of church. You are not welcome in the house of the Lord. Could you imagine this woman? She's utterly hopeless and helpless, just like Jairus. The leader of the synagogue is hopeless and helpless. The one who hasn't been in the synagogue is hopeless and helpless. And they both need Jesus. They both need to encounter Jesus. And then verse 45, I love this. Look what happens. Jesus, this is so funny. I love this. This is funny. Jesus says, who touched me? (laughs) Everyone denied it. Peter said, come on, man. He says, master, in my mind, come on, dog. Come on, man. Come on, man. What do you mean who touched you? The whole crowd is pressing up against you. Come on, Jesus. It's like Walmart on Black Friday. Who touched me? Get your hand out of my cart. I'll run you over with my cart. You can have the PS4. I don't need it, right? Who touched me? The Bible said they were choking the life out of Jesus, suffocating because they're all over the place. And you say, who touched me? Come on, Peter says. What do you mean, who touched me? 
Jesus says in verse 46, no, 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 no. Someone purposely, deliberately touched me for I felt the healing power go out from me. See, Peter, someone touched me in a special way. A life was changed because they touched me. When I read that, you know what? You can't sneak up on Jesus. Some of you here this morning, you think you're sneaking up on Jesus. He knows you're here. You ain't sneaking up on Jesus. He knows everything about you, and your situation is not too insignificant, and it's not too untouchable for him. He knows that you are here. And then verse 47, when the woman realized that she could not hide anymore, she couldn't stay hidden, because Jesus like, I ain't leaving this. I ain't. Who touched me? I'm not going up. Who touched me? She began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him, and that had, she had been immediately healed. So I want you to picture this. Think about this woman's story. Could you imagine? You hear her diary. Jesus already knows it because he's God. She's on her knees in front of Jesus. The crowd that's pressing around Jesus stopped, and I could see everybody kind of circling up. Circling up. Like, oh my goodness, what's about to happen here? What's going on here? And she sits there, and she begins to tell her story. We don't know her story, but I bet it went something like this. Jesus, my life used to be really good. My family loved me. Potentially, maybe my husband loved me. We don't know. I was going to the synagogue and going to church. Life was good. But one day, I started my menstrual cycle. And it never stopped. I cashed in my savings account. I cashed in my bank account. I sold my house. Everything I had, completely gone, trying to fix me physically. Everything. And the doctor said there was no hope. My family turned on me. My friends turned on me. My church turned on me, and they kicked me out because I'm an unclean woman. And I heard about you performing miracles, and I heard that you could heal people. And I thought to myself, if I could just touch your robe. Now, we don't know this on this side of it, the customs, Jesus being a rabbi, would wear a long robe, and the hem of the garment would have been a tassel. And there were usually four tassels, roughly they were blue. And the Bible wants us to note that the woman, when the crowd was pressing around Jesus, she got down, and she thought, if I could just touch the tassel at the bottom of his robe. And she did. She thought she could sneak up on Jesus. And she said, I touched your tassel, and I can't explain it. Because she's a woman, she knows this. Something in me fixed. Like I felt, I stopped bleeding. Something changed. I know this. And you healed me. But the reason why she was scared is because she knows as an unclean woman touching a rabbi would have made him ceremonially unclean and he would not be allowed to go into the synagogue until he goes through the purification. She was afraid 
because she just made Jesus unclean. When I read that, I'm thinking, I'm so thankful that Jesus takes my uncleanliness and makes me clean. Is there anybody grateful that Jesus takes our sin and makes us clean? That he's willing to become unclean for us, that he would bear our sins for us, that he would down the cross sinless but for us bear our sins? And then Jesus calls her public. But you know why Jesus called her publicly? Because he wanted to restore her publicly. He wanted to make sure she was restored publicly. You know why on Sundays when I pray the Lord's Prayer or the prayer of the prayer of salvation and we pray through that together and I ask you to raise your hand or I ask you to stand up or we ask you at the end of the month, put the jersey on, get baptized, go public. You know why? Because you cannot be touched by Jesus and stay secret. If you can't stand up in the house of God for Jesus, how do you expect to stand up out there for Jesus? So when he touches you, you should go public. You should let the world know, he touched me and he's changed me and my life's been changed. You see, he wanted to restore her publicly and the crowd rebuked her, but Jesus loved her, which means this, which means this, don't miss this. You could be part of the crowd and still miss Jesus. They didn't see him. In the midst of the chaos, the way that this woman saw him. And then he does something that's unbelievable. In verse 48, look what he says. Daughter. What? When do you think was the last time this woman heard the word daughter? This was socially inappropriate for a rabbi or a man to call another woman a daughter if it wasn't his biological child. And in the midst of all the crowd and the chaos, he says, daughter. What do you think that did to that woman? For the first time in 12 years, she hears something that makes her connected to a family. For the first time in 12 years, she feel, finally feels loved. And he says, daughter, the only place where Jesus stoops down and looks at her and says, daughter, changed her life. I believe that was the change that took effect on her emotionally, changed her life. And then Jesus wanted her to know, it wasn't your superstition that healed you. It wasn't my cloak. There's nothing special in my fabric or my clothes that can heal you. It wasn't the tassel that you touched that healed you. There's no fabric that's going to heal anyone. I want you to know this, he says. Look what he says. Your faith is what made you well. Not your superstition. Not you touching the tassel. Not my clothes. Not a handkerchief. Your faith. And it was your faith that just made you well. So go in peace. Here's my question. Do you think that made that woman's life better? It made her life better. Now, here's how my mind works. Where's Jarius at? Because Jarius, I could see him acting like us. We don't have time for her. My daughter's dying and we gotta go. Let's go, Jesus. Let's go. Right? Really? Like this happens to me? 
I'm on my way to something important, and this happens. Jesus, come on. We got to go. See, that's how my mind works. Where's Jairus going? Please. My daughter is dying. So verse 49. While he was still speaking to the woman, to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Your daughter didn't make it. Your daughter's dead. And there's no use in troubling the rabbi, the teacher. He don't need to make his way to your house because there's nothing he can do. Jesus says right here in verse 50, when Jesus heard this, so he's talking to the woman. He hears the messenger tell Jairus that his daughter died. Jesus stops talking to the woman, looks at Jairus, says, Jairus, look what he says. Don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. Do you think that maybe Jesus, instead of healing her from a distance, purposely went through the crowd, knowing he's going to be touched by someone who needed to be healed, to stop for a moment to call her publicly so Jairus would see that the woman, faith, healed her, so that he could have faith that he would heal his daughter? This is what's so fascinating. Jairus comes from a Hebrew word called Jer. You know what Jairus' name means? This is so good, honey, this is so good. You know what Jairus' name means? God awakens. Do you think that's by coincidence? Now think about this. The first name means something so important to people. It talks about your character. Could you imagine when he hears the little girl dead? And he says, just a moment, just a moment. Just wait a second. Daughter, just wait a second. Hey, God awakens. She's going to be okay. Could you? He's called his name. God awakens. It's going to be okay, Jairus. It's going to be all right. And then look what happens, verse 51. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in. See, one he did public, one he did secretly. Except Peter, John, and James. This was his inner circle. The little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, rightfully so. It's a funeral now. Jesus says, stop the weeping. She's not dead. She's only asleep. See, God awakens. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Medically, she's out. She's gone. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. At that moment, her life returned to her. She immediately stood up. And Jesus told them to give the little girl something to eat. Her parents were so overwhelmed, but Jesus said, no, 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 don't tell anyone what happened. Just stay here and care for your daughter. See this, see this. Here's a woman who's been suffering 12 years, hasn't gone to church for 12 years. Here's a little girl who's been loved by the family for 12 years, who's been raised in church her whole life, going to church 
for 12 years. Watch this. And they both need Jesus. Do you think that's coincidence when you read that? Or do you think an all-knowing, faithful God knew that someday we need to hear this story? That how our life is not too far gone. That nothing is insignificant for Jesus. Nothing is untouchable for Jesus. Nothing is unclean for Jesus. They were both hopeless, but they needed a Savior. Now what Jesus just did, He just made their life better. See, that's the mission of our church is to help people follow Jesus so they can experience a better life. But here's what I want you to understand. A better life doesn't mean that it would be easy. What is the better life? Here's the better life. Hope in the midst of chaos. Jesus in the midst of chaos. That's hope. That makes my life better knowing He is there. He is here. And so my encouragement to you is seek Jesus in the midst of your crazy life. Nothing is too insignificant. Nothing is too untouchable. And as you go away, and as you go through your crowded life with work and school and sports and family and relationships and issues and chaos and dysfunction, don't miss that Jesus is there. He is here. He's always here. How do I know? He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And the good times, the bad times, and all in between. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's always been there for you. He knew you before you knew Him. And He wants a relationship with you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. Just for a moment. Whether you're watching online, Grayson, here in the house, you've wandered your way in here today, and you're not here by mistake. In the midst of the crowd in here, Jesus reaches out to you. You're not too far gone. You're not untouchable. You're not too unclean where Jesus can change your life. And the greatest gift that you need to receive this Christmas season is the gift of salvation. It's the greatest gift. It's a free gift to you. Free to us, but it costs God everything. Now, you may be here going through the motions, moving with the crowd around Jesus, <laughs> but not having a relationship with Him. You can do that. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you're here watching online or in the house, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Saying a prayer doesn't save anyone. But my lips can proclaim what my heart declares. And if my heart declares that Jesus is Lord, then let him know. In fact, you just pray with me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you're here. And today, as best as I know how, 
I put my faith in you. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today I surrender to you. Now, if you prayed that with me, whether you're watching online or even in here, we want you to let us know. If you've been touched by Jesus, that's not a secret matter. We want to know. That's why we ask you to go to the Red Room. We want to give you some Bibles, some resources that help you on your journey as you keep following Jesus. But before we move transition to the next part, I just, just curious, would anybody be so bold to say, Pastor, just want you to know, today I just gave my life to Jesus. But just raise your hand, just want to know. I'm going to pray for you. Just want to know. Anybody be so bold? Come on. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. So proud of you guys to raise your hand. All right, look back up here. The reason why we started this church 11 years ago was to reach people who don't know Jesus. Moorhead didn't need another church. Carter County doesn't need another church. There are great churches. But we were just overwhelmed, believed that God wanted to start a movement to bring hope to the hopelessness. You know, we prayed for you before you even knew we were coming. And we've not even begun to see what God's about to do. And we knew 11 years ago, on January 27th, we celebrate our 11th anniversary. We knew 11 years ago that it wasn't just about Moorhead, it was about the region. That God was gonna draw people from all surrounding counties. And for years we've been praying and planning and waiting for the moment for God to show us, where do you think the next place is for us to be one church in two locations? And through circumstances and praying and leading, we feel like it's Grayson is that next stop. And we believe Grayson, listen to this Grayson, I know you're watching, you guys, because the core team are still meeting, we're gonna launch publicly January 27th, but we believe that you guys are gonna be a regional hub too and people are already coming from Greenup County and Boyd County and Lawrence County and Sandy Hook. Listen, we even believe some people will come from West Virginia. How many people you know they need Jesus in West Virginia? Come on, y'all know that, right? <laughs> from Huntington, and let's just see where God takes it. And so every year, if you're new with us, or if you're watching online, we do a Christmas offering, and we designate to do something great. We, we help organizations, help missions. Because of your generosity, our church is gonna be able to feed over 100 families this Christmas season already. Way to go, guys. That's awesome. But this year, we decided in our Christmas offering, we're gonna take it and just launch that campus. There's nothing greater to reach more people evangelistically with the gospel than church planning. It's the fastest way to reach people who need Jesus is through church planning. And every church you've ever attended in your entire life was a church plant that someone like this got together and sacrificed and says, we want to see that movement happen up that holler, in that city, behind that farm, in that county. And they started just like this. And so last week we just told you, say, just pray, listen to Jesus and do what he tells you to do. And today, what we're about to do, we're gonna take up our Christmas offering. And this goes to launch that campus. Is that amazing? You get to be part of this. And lives and thousands of lives will be changed because of you. And if you came today and you weren't prepared to give, that's okay. You can download our app. You can give securely on our app. You can go to our website. There's a drop-down box that says Christmas offering. Bam, it's super easy. That's the way my wife and I give. It's super secure, very easy to do. If you didn't, and listen, if you didn't come today prepared, you go home after church and you do it. 
however you feel, let the Lord do it. This is not between me and you. This ain't between you and the church. This is between you saying, Jesus, what would you have me to give? So here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna thank God in advance for what he's about to do in Grayson and continue the movement as it goes out throughout the region and lives to be changed. So if you'll pray with me as our ushers come to you. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your goodness. Today, God, we wanna thank you in advance. And most importantly, for the lives that were changed, for the hands that went up, for those who were touched by you, who touched your robe and reached out and touched you, you changed their life and their destiny forever. And God, we thank you in advance for what you're about to do today through this Christmas offering and how you're going to advance the kingdom of God in Carter County and Lawrence County and Boyd County and Creative County and Lewis County. God, as the movement goes, we will lift your son Jesus up and you draw men and women to yourself. So we thank you in advance for what you're about to do. We love you, Jesus. For it's your name we ask, we pray. Come on out. And everybody say, let's stand for Jesus Thank you for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. You can let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app, available on any major platform. Lastly, if you're interested in supporting what God is doing in this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying that you have a great week and we hope to see you again soon.